Hi everyone and welcome to a new podcast on Realtor Talk. Today I've got a special guest on. Her name is Sophia Kazmi. Thanks for coming on, Sophia. Thank you for having me. So Sophia works for Ines and works on local and both global mortgages as well. Uh, Sophia, why don't you introduce yourself and just explain who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Lloyd. Um, so as Lloyd mentioned, uh, I work for Ennis. We're a high net worth mortgage brokerage. Now, we first opened our offices in London uh, about, uh, what, back in 2007. Uh, and since then, we've opened offices globally. So London, obviously, Dubai, Monaco, Ibiza, um, and Jersey. Uh, now, we focus on sourcing uh, finance for high net worth individuals predominantly looking at uh, looking at securing real estate uh, all across the world in uh, prime locations such as London, South France, Paris, Spain, the Balearics, uh, the Caribbean and so on. Um, it's not just real estate that we can secure finance against it, we can also secure it against luxury assets such as yachts, art, watches, uh, so all sorts really. Okay, so that's, that's interesting and very helpful for people who are not just looking actually for real estate here, but also other assets across the, the globe. Um, specifically, yeah. obviously, we're, we're on a real estate show, so we'll focus on that. As, as a specialist broker and a specialist company, who are the main kind of clientele, clientele that you, you deal with and help? And, and what are the particular needs that you, you specialize in? Yeah. So I mean, typically as a high net worth brokerage, that's, that's how we market ourselves. Uh, our clients tend to be as a result of high net worth individuals and uh, looking at borrowing in excess of one million. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say that we have clients who are, you know, aren't borrowing less than that. I mean, I have clients who are borrowing for as little as £100,000 um, and then we don't really have a maximum loan amount. I mean, uh, we've arranged financing in excess of 25 million euros in the past, so uh, it's certainly all possible. And it, it's a range, really. I mean, the types of clients, obviously, in Dubai, there's a huge expat community, British mm -hmm. expat community in particular. So with that, there are a lot of British clients who are looking at either their first-time buyers, looking at buying a buy-to-let property, uh, or perhaps they're looking at buying a property which they intend on moving back to within the next couple of years. Uh, but then on top of that, obviously, in Dubai, you have it's extremely international. So you have clients looking at buying all sorts, uh, really. Uh, and high net wealth clients looking at buying beautiful properties in Ibiza, in the Caribbean, um, in the south of France. So it's all across, really. Okay. And when you said one million, are you talking about one million pounds? Is, uh, or are you talking yeah, about, one yeah. million pounds. Uh, yeah, or, or one million euros. Really. It's quite close at the moment. Okay, and it goes up from that, of course, depending on yeah. the property that you're looking for. Okay, and then why, why should someone use, a, use yourself or a company like uh, NS um, to, to do this and, and find finance rather than trying to do it themselves? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. We get it quite a lot. Um, I mean, firstly, someone can do it by themselves. Sure, uh, you can certainly approach the high street, especially if you're in the UK, you can approach the high street and you can probably um, secure a mortgage. But the benefit of using us in particular um, is that Ennis are not, uh, we're sort of a, we're a whole of market brokerage. Um, so by that, what I mean is we, we are not tied to one panel. Uh, we have access to over 300 lenders. So where, let's say, you, you might go and approach the local banks who will have access to, let's say, five products which they will be able to offer you. Us as a brokerage, we 
can access all sorts of banks, whether it be private banks, retail banks, niche lenders, private equity firms, uh, really just depends on the client um, and, and their profile. Uh, these, being we have a relationship with these banks as well, all these lenders, they tend to give us preferential rates too. Uh, the other tricky thing is, especially being, being overseas, uh, is that the mortgage process is sometimes not the easiest process, especially if you go and do it by yourself. And a lot of the time what I have had is I've had clients who have gone and done it by themselves and then perhaps they've realised that it's quite tricky or they may not necessarily have certain documents, especially here, for example, we don't always have payslips. Um, in some banks, you, you need to approach the right bank because some banks will just turn a blind eye or, sorry, not turn a blind eye, they, 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 will, um, they will just decline the application if, if you don't have it. So you need to approach the, the right bank who, who is comfortable with clients who perhaps have slightly more complex income structures or just not something that they're used to. So we will prepare the application for, for the underwriters and for the credit committee so that it is the, in the most attractive manner, if you were, uh, to obviously so the application is, is accepted. Um, as I mentioned, we have access to a range of lenders. So depending on the client's profile, uh, once I've had my first conversation with the client, I know already off the top of my head who is going to do it, who's going to be the best, um, best for best for such clients. So, so that's why. Yeah, I think well, that's an important point um, in that you, know, you don't, you, you know, already you have the expertise. You're working in the market every single day. So, someone yeah, who comes absolutely. and and you once you've asked them a few questions, you can point them in the correct direction. Whereas, you might, you know, if you're trying to do it yourself, be wandering around like a, a headless chicken and missing out yeah. on the, the potential best deals, best deals for you. Um, absolutely. And I think also just on that as well. I think. Um, What's important to note is, well, NSV are fully regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority as well. Um, a lot of brokers which you may approach are not. Um, but with that, the FCA, obviously, you, you have to be, you know, we're fully regulated. We have a full complaints process. Um, so, so we're protected by that as well. And as a result, reliable brokerage. Uh, the other thing to also bear in mind is that uh, a lot of clients, especially high net worth clients, uh, may look at, may want to look at it's, it's not just the mortgages that they want to they want perhaps to look at um, what's the best way of holding their property uh, in terms of structuring whether it be in their personal names or sort of, uh, in a company uh, and although we can't give that advice we can certainly put them in touch with a trusted partner uh, who will be able to do so so we will hold their hand essentially from, from start to finish uh, and really we are the point of contact for the bank, uh, for the client, uh, so it, it really just takes a lot of stress off the client. Definitely, more of a kind of one-stop shop for for helping them in their their, their buying process, and you know, that's why what, what we also do as a company as well try to recommend different company structures, conveyancing all of that stuff. And you know, Sophia here is also uh, someone who can help with that. Looking if you're looking to buy a an international property, then the, the financing side and you know, the other part of it is, is also there to conduct everything in one, in one way with one uh, easy point of contact. Uh, in terms of, of Dubai, I wanted to, to ask you about that briefly first before I talk more about international mortgages. But how can you assist uh, here for properties in Dubai for people living here or maybe even from abroad and looking to invest into Dubai? Yeah. 
I mean, I think it works quite similarly, uh, whether it be Dubai or whether it be internationally. Uh, I think w what really matters is the client's profile and how much they're borrowing. Now, if we talk about Dubai in particular, um, we wouldn't necessarily be approaching, uh, I mean, normally if someone's doing it by themselves, they would approach a local bank here, but again, it, it may not be the case. Um, we work with both private and Utah banks. Um, we would, be, being where in Dubai though, we'll be able to certify all the documents for the clients. So that can sometimes save time and money in doing so. Um, but uh, other than that, it just comes down to the, the profile of the client really and who would approach. But the process remains the same. Uh, collecting all the document, documents will remain the same. Uh, valuations will still need to take place, just like wherever you're buying. Uh, so that, that will remain the same. Okay, I think we'll, we'll, we'll discuss more about the, the process and all of, all of those things later. Um, but yeah, that's, that's helpful to, to know, Sophia. Uh, if, you, if I move on to, to the international mortgages, where are you finding the most kind of popular locations abroad that residents of Dubai are looking to, to get financing? And, and where is it most easily available for, for them to, to get the finance best in foreign countries? Um. So I think, like, like I mentioned before, I think being Dubai has a huge British expat community. There are a lot of people looking to buy in the UK as a result. Um, in addition, whether, whether that be a buy to let or a residential property, uh, that being said, there are obviously, it's multicultural, so there are people looking at buying the Balearic luxury properties, uh, France, Paris in particular, South France. A lot of people also look at uh, developing chalets uh, in, in the Alps, just cultural, Mosin, um, in the Caribbean as well, there are some really lovely, lovely properties. So it really does range, um, there really is a huge range. And again, the type of financing too, uh, it's not just financial or residential, they're all commercial, we can, we can arrange short-term bridging finance. Um, I guess it's just, it, it's just really what, what we want, what the clients are looking for, and also that their time frames would come on. Who we approach. Mm -hmm. It's not just UK as well that we can we can lend it. Well, we, we can secure financing in. It's also the kind of entities, Jersey, Guernsey, and the Isle of Man. Uh, so uh, it's uh, yeah, it, all over really. Okay, that's in, that's interesting. Are you, do you find most people? I know you're talking about chalets and the Alps. Are, are a lot of people doing that more as a kind of a ho holiday home or? A, a lot of the, the financing you provide for investment properties that you're talking about, buy to let, is that, what's the kind of ratio you see for that? It's really a range, I think, because um, building, a, building a holiday home or building a chalet, sorry, in, in the Alps is not cheap. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, it's, never, it's hardly a first purchase for, for many people. Um, so they tend to rent it out because the yields are quite high, as you can imagine it in the, in the Alps, especially in the peak season. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is also a, a home that they would use. I mean, it's something that they would hold on to and then pass on to their kids as well. Uh, and then come summer or winter, they're great places to go and skiing in the winter. And so they'll have some beautiful hiking trails in the summer. So. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. sounds idyllic, doesn't it? To, to have your it does, I know. Especially at times like this, we could really do with some snow and it's uh, almost 50 <laughs> degrees here. <laughs> That's wishful thinking, unless, yeah, unless you go to the Mall of Emirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
What are, I know you're talking about a lot of British clients and uh, looking to buy back home or abroad. Are, are you getting a lot of uh, Arab, like Emirati clients as well, who who look to use finance, or they they tend to be more more cash buyers? Um, you do have a lot of people who are cash buyers, certainly, or at least are, want to or consider being cash buyers at first. But I think when they, um, especially when you're looking at sort of the higher prices as well the banks that we can approach will offer extremely competitive interest rates and with that uh, I mean you can get mortgages 80% loan to value and sometimes even 100% loan to value overseas internationally so I think when, when they see those rates of sub 2% in Europe it's extremely competitive and rather than let's say purchasing one property in cash they can sort of uh, diversify if you were and perhaps buy property in the UK and, and internationally or in Europe um, at a very competitive rates. Okay, that's, that's yeah, it's, it's interesting when you compare it globally rather than just looking at a, a local market. When you look on a, on a global scale, the, the diversity in terms of rates and all of this stuff is, is interesting, yeah. and interesting to compare between. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, so for people who wouldn't know or wouldn't know how to start in terms of you know, applying for the mortgage or the, the documents and everything that needs to be done. Can you just give us a kind of walkthrough through the, the basic process when you're talking about yeah, the timelines, how it works for different nationalities, all of that kind of stuff? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so usually how it works is we would be introduced to the client, whether that be through an introducer or, or they call in. Uh, we would conduct a fact find initially. Now that would just be a, a conversation with the client initially to understand their profile, what they're looking for, um, sort of how, how they're paid and so on. Once we've done that, we would then put together a write-up and approach the lenders who, as I mentioned before, we would already have a good idea of who, who's going to do it. I mean, we have these relationships with these banks or niche lenders. So we know already what their criteria is, what, what, where their appetite lies, and as a result, we know who to approach. Um, they will then come back to us with their feedback and hopefully their indicative terms. Um, and once they've done that, we'll then present them to the client. And only then, if they're happy to, to move forward in submission application, does our formal process begin to work. And that would be collecting all the documents, passports, proof of address, of course, proof of income. Now, in terms of proof of income, I know that can be quite tricky, as we mentioned. Uh, but the banks that we would be approaching uh, would normally be comfortable with the salary certificate uh, or, or a letter from the employers if they don't have pay slips. Bank statements as well, we would require those. Uh, and just the proof of deposit, really. And the rest would just be on a case by case basis, depending on, uh, on the banks. Okay. So the like the eligibility it would depends really on on the different types of bank and determining on their particular risk profile at the time and, yeah. and clients' eligibility according to that. Uh, what about in terms of of costs as well? So it varies. I mean, typically banks banks will normally charge a fee of anywhere between 0.5 or 0.25 percent to one percent. Now that can be also more than one percent. It depends on the lenders. I mean, if you're looking at arranging bridging finance, for example, you can look at these uh, sort of in the region of two to a half percent. It does vary, um, and those can again, depending on the bank, be either added onto the loan amount or due its completion. Okay. Uh, or, or yeah, so it so it really 
typically does vary. The other thing obviously to bear in mind is stamp duty. That's another thing to, to consider. A lot of people do you know, forget about it. And legal fees as well. Buying in Europe in particular, sometimes legal fees can stack up. Uh, I mean, you have notary, notary fees and taxes and so on. They really can add up. So it's, um, it's good to always get those fees at the beginning so you know there's no nasty surprises. Yeah, of course, you want to know, know up front. And, and what about in terms of timelines? Um, you know, from, from kind of the start of the process, from the initial uh, run through that you go through them to understand their circumstance, to actually getting the approval of the mortgage, is there, is there you know, a standard average time frame that you, you look at? Or, and, and does it really vary depending on the different country that you're looking in? Uh, can you just enlighten us on that? Yeah. I think, again, it, it makes a huge difference, a difference depending on what type of finance you're looking for firstly. So if you're looking at bridging finance, we can look at securing bridging finance within a week. Um, it can take a week to two weeks. Um, that, that's the idea of bridging finance. It's meant to be short-term finance. Um, typically, though, I would suggest that it would, it would take about six to eight weeks on average to for, uh, for an international client to secure financing sometimes obviously that can take longer mm -hmm. um there was a bit of delay obviously with covid uh, valuations were put on hold so a lot of offers were uh, sort of on hold until these satisfactory valuations were returned back to the banks but it seems that uh, surveyors are now back out and valuing in the UK, so things have now picked up. Um, so I would usually say sort of between six to eight weeks um, to from the moment you submit an application to completion. Uh, once you submit an application to, to the bank, it then goes to the underwriters for approval. They will then instruct the valuation, uh, and then once they have received valuation, they will then issue the formal binding mortgage offer. And depending on the banks, that's valid for between three to six months. Okay, it's interesting. Uh, also, you know, you're talking about the documents, stuff like the pay slips, your your personal IDs, and you know these kind of things that you need to submit for the application. Obviously, if you're dealing with different countries and um, you know different languages, even in say if you're buying in China or in uh, in Russia, do you need to have those documents translated into the local local language generally? Uh, how how is this done? I know I keep saying this, but it does depend on who, who you approach. Um, so with, with some of the retail banks and sort of high street banks, yes, the likelihood is that you would need them to be translated. Uh, now we can advise on certain companies to do so, just lower the cost. If, if we've advised them, we've suggested them in the past, we know that they're going to charge an average. Um, but a lot of the banks uh, we may approach, private banks, it's quite niche banks in particular, may have Sort of foreign desks. So, for example, um, I have a Russian client who has uh, quite all his documents are in Russian. So, payslips, um, bank statements, and so on are in Russian. But that file will be passed over to the Russian desk at at, at said bank. Um, so, there'll be no need to translate the documents, um, which will save them a lot of time and money. And also, also just to bear in mind, um, a good thing is with us. Well, a lot. Of, all of our international brokers at Ellis are bilingual. Um, I myself speak Greek and French, so uh, we can also help on that side as well. But yeah, otherwise, you're right, it can be quite a, quite a tedious, tedious uh, 
procedure. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. And obviously dealing with foreign banks, different requirements, like you said, it, it always depends on the particular circumstances, but at least you have a solution to, to make it easier for anyone applying uh, to organize yeah. the translation. Um, in terms of lenders, you've been, you've been talking about the, the retail banks and also working with, with private banks. Um, obviously, I know the difference, but maybe some people don't know too much about it. Can you just explain the difference between the two and also if there's any difference in the requirements from, from both of them? Yeah, sure. Um, so with retail banks, uh, they're sort of, or, or high street banks, they're sort of the banks that you would approach uh, who are looking, and you're looking for just a conventional mortgage um, with no real long-term relationship. These banks are just transaction only if, if you were. Um, not typically go up to 75, 80% loan to value. Um, in terms of documents, they'll want the standard proof address, passport. They're a bit more particular with um, ticking all the boxes in terms of having the document on, on file. Um, with a private bank or with sort of um, alternative lenders and platforms, um, private equities or hedge funds or so on, they, they don't really have one process or one product even. It's, uh, it's just on, on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, a lot of these private banks or global private banks or even discrete ones, they tend to look for uh, more of a relationship. So they position themselves more as uh, wealth managers, if you were, rather than uh, just lenders or creditors. So as a result, what they would sometimes require is that assets under management are placed on the account. Uh, with the bank in order to commence a private banking relationship. Um, that's where the very and then with that as a result they're able to offer much more competitive rates. So um, where with a retail bank you may be looking at rates in the region of two percent or north of two percent you might be able to get um, something considerably lower um, with a with a private bank. Of course you have to face that matter with the bank. Okay, that's yeah, that's interesting, and yeah, thanks for clearing that up as well on on the differences. Um, I know, you know at the moment we're not we're not able to travel internationally so well and and meet up because of all the social distancing uh, that's going on not just here in Dubai but across the world. Uh, in terms of of documentation um, and and the full process, can everything be done electronically now, or are there still some instances where you actually still have to physically go to, to the destination country where you're looking to buy the property? Yeah. Um, it, it, um, some banks can certainly, in a lot of banks now, can actually do things electronically. Um, we, we are, we're based here as well in Dubai, and we have representatives all over really, so if it's just a case of certifying documents, then we can do so, and we can post them to the banks, which is what sometimes the banks will need as a minimum. Um, if, let's say, we're using a private bank, uh, a lot of them will have, or even a retail bank perhaps, they, they will have a presence where the client is based. So in terms of conducting all the KYC and the due diligence, that can be done where the client is based. However, the booking office, and by that I mean where the assets and collateral are held, will be um, in Luxembourg or Switzerland, perhaps. Uh, but at least the, the bank can meet with the client in person uh, and take that off. Uh, but otherwise, everything like what we're doing now, it, it can be done online or via Zoom. Um, a lot of the time, clients just hold up their passport, um, the camera and the bank's computer screenshot, and, uh, they can certify documents that way as well. So 
uh, there has been a lot of changes. It's quite interesting to see how you know, the changes have come around over the last sort of 12 weeks or eight to 12 weeks. Where, um, but it, yeah, banks are being a lot more flexible. Yeah. And new ways around it with, uh, well, with unprecedented circumstances, of course. Yeah, I think the because banks aren't necessarily known for for modern processes. Shall we say they're not renowned? No. So, You're but right. this is giving them a bit of a kick to to start um, you know, modernizing the the processes, and, and only a good thing, I think, to make uh, business and and money flows much more smooth. Uh, wanted to ask also about local bank accounts so so when you're looking to get mortgages in, in certain countries do do local bank accounts need to be set up in those countries generally and and again what are the the requirements needed if, if that's the case yeah um, so yes normally they will need a, a UK well or, or a local bank account wherever they are buying or remortgaging or if they're remortgaging it so they really have a bank account there but yes they would normally need a bank account locally um, now, if, if the bank doesn't offer that service, then we have the contact and always either help them do it or we can refer them over to someone who, who can do so um, at, a, at a minimum cost or, and also a uh, very simple process. But otherwise, a lot of the banks that they're arranging the mortgage through as well can actually open the bank account uh, for them at the same time. Yeah, I think they'll be happy to do that for them anyway. But banks always love to offer you a, a bank account, don't they? <laughs> to bring your it's, money. Uh, it's sometimes it's quite a tricky one. Well, it, it's um, because you need to have uh, some banks will want you to have sort of the UK footprint uh, or UK passport, or even have the UK property or, or some form of footprint in the UK before open the bank account. So it's a tricky one that if you don't know who to approach, um, you will be searching for a long time. Do so, yeah. but it, we um, we have contacts and we do so, and uh, we, we can get that arranged. Okay, yeah, no, definitely it would help out people who, who aren't familiar with the, the system, 100%. Um, in terms of, of valuations, and you were talking about surveyors previously and how they're, they're able to start going out into, into the market again now. Um, how, how are valuations handled in, in foreign countries? Because obviously, say here in Dubai, you'd have local surveyors and they would go out and value the properties. But how does it work in, in practice in foreign countries? Do you, do you have surveyors who are based locally? Yeah, you, you would do. So um, the, sometimes banks have a panel of surveyors uh, of which the client may be able to choose who they want to instruct. Uh, now, we also have relationships with certain um, certain surveyors so we, we can advise who to approach as well. Um, or banks might have just one uh, one valuator that they instruct and how they would do that is they would then get in touch with the valuator directly and it's just a case of the client uh, making making payment for, for the valuation. But um, but yeah there there will always be a valuator um, on, on the ground who will go and visit the property. Either the clients, if they want to be there, they, they can obviously do so, or they can just arrange for someone to um, arrange access for the, for the property. Okay, um, and and how do you like do you know, say say I was here in Dubai, I might go with the surveyor and and uh, you know, check out the property and give them 
some more information about it and then speak with them whilst they're going around the property. Is there any way you do that or you just send the person person around the property and then they come back with the valuation or is there someone locally to, to discuss it with them um, to discuss the valuation that they're giving or do you even do that electronic, electronically now? Is, is that something that's, that's practiced or not really? Um, so do you mean in terms of sort of to discuss the property when someone goes and views it in terms of yeah, 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 just go and, go and attend the the, uh, the inspection with them basically. Uh, is that something that's normally done or, or not, not really? You don't have to, you certainly you don't have to be uh, if you're the property owner, you don't have to be with the valuator, no, um, by any means. I mean, if it's a buy step property, for example, at the time tenants, um, tenants allow valuators into, into the properties and they just go in and do the property and then value it accordingly. Uh, I think that they will base their, that they are local valuators, so they're going to always hire someone who knows the area yeah. uh, and will base it on comparables as well, um, both sales and lettings comparables if required. Um, so, so that's what the, their figure will be based on, of course, and they're experts, so they, they will be, they will, they will know the areas and uh, yeah, they'll, they'll be trusted. Okay, um, sure. Um, in terms of, of the mortgages themselves as well, so once obviously you've had um, the, the surveyor do their thing, you've analysed which, um, you know, which banks or private lenders might be ideal for them, are, are there generally any you know, restrictions on mortgage lengths or again does it depend on, on the particular um, lender or an age limit or is, is the, the loan to value ratio is it affected at all by, by being a non-resident in, in that particular country? Um, again, it, it does vary. Uh, but typically, no. I mean, with the number of banks now who are lending to uh, foreign nationals or overseas clients, um, I mean, it, it really just comes down to when they're expecting to retire, I suppose. Uh, but there are banks who will lend up to the age of 80. Uh, or when they're going, or you know, whenever they're going to retire. Um, LTV-wise, no. I mean, again, it varies whether they're buying a residential or buy stock property. I think what does have an impact is if they have a UK footprint, and by that I mean is if they have owned a pro owned a property in the past, or or they currently own a property, um, because that will then affect who we can approach. A lot of banks. Um, Want to see that someone has previous mortgage experience just to show that they're more of course they need payments um, and they're able to keep up with monthly mortgage repayments um, and they'll be more comfortable lending to them. Um, but that's really all, all there is. Other than that, you, know, you can get extremely competitive products. As I mentioned, you can even get 100% loan to value mortgages in some countries, not even being a resident, uh, and that's very common in Europe. So, uh, so certainly, no, that doesn't really. Much of an impact. The rates sometimes, of course, uh, are affected, but again, it, it just comes down to the, the approach. I mean, some banks are good off the same product, uh, especially if some private banks are the same product, whether you are based locally or, or overseas. Sure, I, I think really it's it's if you have if you're if you have enough money and and you uh, if you're on on a certain level where you have enough income and your circumstances are correct then you can find a, a mortgage for, for the kind of property that you're looking for. Am I correct in, in saying that, Sophia? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, what, also, I wanted to ask you about, you know, when you're dealing in different countries, so you know, 
say for example dollar and, and the dirham it's pegged so it doesn't really make that much difference but say you're buying in i don't know in the in the caribbean or say you're buying in thailand for example in in thai bot uh, how how do people generally hedge against a possible currency risk? And and I'm assuming everything is done in the local currencies generally as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so how it's like it's a good question actually. Um, so the a lot of banks that we work with uh, would be able to offer foreign currency loans. Uh, so as a result, they can hedge against. Um, like you mentioned, against the currency risk. Uh, like you said, the US dollar is pegged to the germs. Um, so, if, and whatever income, well, whatever currency you're earning, I'm sorry, um, you, can, you can borrow in that currency just to touch against that risk. Okay, so you could potentially borrow you know, in a dollar, a dollar mortgage, for example, on the property that you're buying, so you can make sure that you for some reason in case inflation happens in that currency whatever whatever circumstance you never know you can actually cover against that so to get the peace of mind that's good um i also wanted to ask you i know i know you know you've talked about high net worth individuals um what about for high value mortgages can you tell me more about what you offer in, in that space yeah um so with high value mortgages as i, as I mentioned it, it's um where it's different to sort of um lower value and by lower value I'll just I mean less than one million pounds mm -hmm. it, it just comes down to who you would approach a lot of the banks uh, who, who look at high value mortgages tend to have a minimum loan amount mm -hmm. um, starting at one million pounds um, and those are the banks who tend to have um, ask prices on the management as well uh, and they tend to be sort of niche lenders uh, so, so that's that's really where it varies on who you would approach with the, with the higher value mortgages. You tend to also get more competitive rates in the higher value mortgages as a result of going to some private banks or um, lenders. Okay, and, and what about remortgaging as well? So, you know, you talked about bridging, talked about high value mortgages. Um, what about for for remortgaging on on current mortgages that they have? Can you help out with that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we can do. I mean, people remortgage for a number of reasons. Either well, if their product is coming to an end, they remortgage to want another fixed rate. Uh, they want to secure their repayments. Uh, or perhaps times like this, people want to remortgage or release equity even in their properties if they if they bought them a number of years ago and they have since gone up in value, they have a lot of equity in the property, they can lose equity. Um, that's extreme, yeah, it is. And I would always advise it to, um, if you've got a lot, a lot of equity in your property, why not? Um, so it is extremely common and easy to do, and regardless of whether you are based in, in the country where the property is or, uh, or even overseas, it's actually possible. Are you, the same, and the process would be exactly the same as well. Okay. Are you, are you seeing a lot of that? Because obviously, yeah, you're saying about people remortgaging at the moment to, to release equity, whether that be to, to fund their businesses, whether to buy more property, yeah. whatever purpose. Are you seeing a, an upturn in that, in these, in these current circumstances where people are looking to, to release that, that cash essentially from, from their assets? I am. Yeah, I, I, have, I have done. I've seen a number of clients who perhaps were looking at doing things a couple of years ago, even a couple of months ago, 
uh, and they have now come back and are now looking at releasing equity in their properties. Um, so yeah, it is it is common now banks that banks are still doing it. Banks haven't really changed their criteria. Um, so yeah, but there are parts of certain so. Yeah, I think that's going to be a continuing trend, especially for for high net worth individuals, especially what they want to. Yeah, no it way. makes sense. I, I don't see why you, I don't see why you wouldn't if you've got a property which is still up in value, uh, especially in prime locations such as Paris or, or London. You know, um, you buy these properties knowing they're going to go up in value and, and for, for capital growth. So why not take advantage of that? Exactly, exactly. And with the mortgage rates being low, and you're talking especially in Absolutely. Europe being you know, low mortgage rates at the moment, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? Do you get a lot of them? I mean, do you get do you get a lot of uh, inquiries about clients even looking at being mortgage properties here or releasing yeah, yeah. properties here? Yeah, we do. Um, the the difference between, I guess, say a London and a Paris and and Dubai is that the capital um, capital values have been eroded here in the last you know mm. four or five years. So it's a bit different in, different in terms of like the value of their property. Maybe if they they bought it in that kind of time frame, has actually gone down on the property, so they won't have built up as much equity as they could have, say, in, in another city. However, people who've invested 10, 15, 20 years ago here in Dubai, then yes, they would have bought at a lower point in the market and then they, they do have equity built up in the property and they will be able to, to take some of that, that cash out. But yeah, definitely on the shorter term, I wouldn't say it's, it's very common just because, yeah, they, they've, they've, their value of their property now will be much less than if they, when they mortgaged it in, in the first place. Unless maybe they've put, they've paid cash for it and they just want to take out a bit of, of cash from that property. But I'd say it's a slightly different thing to in some of the other international markets. Where are you finding people are buying at the moment in Dubai and like what sorts of properties are they looking for? They're, they're moving since since the pandemic started to fear, it's been more towards the, the villas and the and the townhouses, I'd say. Um, people are still interested in apartments as well. But it's only specific, you know, specific locations, or if they can find a good deal. But in terms of a general trend of where people want to live, they, there's a big trend towards having outdoor space, a pool, balconies, these kind of things, where where people have been cooped up inside for for a long while and realised that, oh, I actually need more space. I can't handle my kids running around me every every five seconds, or you know, they yeah. they a bit more. Uh, area and and people are thinking okay I don't mind to maybe uh, live you know 10 minutes further out of the center of town but I'll be able to have my garden I'll you know I'll have a bit more privacy I won't be you know cooped up inside a, an apartment building necessarily so they tend to, to look more for end users towards uh, townhouses and villas and that's both on the, the sales and the rental side um, in terms of in, in investment, though, I think people will still always stick to, to main areas. Um, you know, people will still always look at waterfront properties. People will still look in downtown, still look in the marina, for example. Uh, they're not gonna, that's not going to change. Those areas will still be prime areas located within Dubai. Um, but in terms of what we're seeing now, and I don't know if that's going to be a trend for one year, two years, however long, but at this moment in time, yeah, they're trending to more, more towards going towards the townhouses and the villas. And, and the reason is simply because of the price point, uh, prices have been going down, like I was mentioning. So 
as a comparable, say for example, you're living in you know, a three bedroom in the marina, an apartment. Now you can get a very comparable option, but have you know a two story townhouse in Arabian Ranches too, or yeah. um, you know, Dubai Hills Estate, which is you know it's an extra ten minutes away from the coast, but you have your own space. You have a lot more internal space and also out, outdoor space as well. So that's the kind of thing we're seeing. You know, people are looking at the comparables and it makes sense to to get a bit more um, more room basically than, than yeah. they can apartment. Why not? Yeah, I know it's, it's a great time I suppose, to take to take advantage. Um, that's that's how the market's moving over here, then it's definitely a great time to take advantage of it. Yeah, I think so. And and that's what people are doing. That's why we're seeing a lot of people moving at the moment we're, we're especially especially busy uh considering mm -hmm. what, what what we thought it might be um with the negativity around the uh, the world i guess and the the hesitancy but it's actually been uh, really busy people looking to find a, a new place to live yeah us too even though i mean um we've been extremely busy in the last three months um surprisingly um because what you hear on the news is uh you hear that it's all it's all going terribly wrong but you no know, there's there's been so much activity we've had a lot of inquiries uh a lot of people also who we were in touch with quite a while back now looking at picking things up now so it's uh it's been a really interesting time yeah i think so like like you're saying looking at picking things up now i think there has been a lot of feeling in in the world globally as well that this kind of you know recession whatever you want to call it global downturn is 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 coming and a lot of the savvy investors, they wait until this period of time on the economic cycle to, to start mm -hmm. coming into the market because they realize that there's there's good value and, and you make money on, on property when, when you actually buy the property. Um, that's that's If you get it at a, a good price at the right time, then that's when you actually make your money and then you just let the property go up in value over time. Of course, there'll be ups and downs, but generally if you're buying at the, the lower end of the market, the ideal time and that's why they call it a buyer's market so this, this is the time to to take action and like i said it's, it's busy for that reason yeah absolutely yeah i can agree more um going back so back to the the um the mortgaging and and all of this stuff um in terms of like legal protection in in foreign countries obviously there's different legal jurisdictions in in different countries across the world mm -hmm. um how do you recommend or do you even offer that service of recommending uh, lawyers locally to just give you, give like whoever's taking the mortgage, some advice on the terminology and the legal framework in those countries? Um, and does it, does it really make a difference when you use an international bank, for example? Is it, is it more standardized? How, do, how does it work? So if you're using an, I mean, an international bank, I think the, the legal documentation would normally just be the same in terms of the completion process and what the lawyers work on, but I would always advise, and you would normally have, you would normally have to anyway have a local notary or, or a local solicitor. Um, it's also advisable because you never know what charges are going to pop up, whether it be stamp duty, uh, land tax, or just local fees in general when they're registering a mortgage. Also, and, and at least with a with a local solicitor, they're up to date with with, um, with all the changes. Um, Lawyers can best also advise you on structuring, so it may be the case for a lot of high net worth clients, or not necessarily even high net worth, but if you have just sort of a number of properties, 
sometimes it's not best to hold it in a personal name. It might be best to hold it in a particular structure, such as a sort of an SPV or however they they may want. But a lawyer will best be able to is best placed to advise you on how to hold the property as well, um, in order in order to uh, lower your uh, your tax implications. So certainly, I, I would advise. Uh, and if if clients don't have uh, a local Visitor or notary, we can certainly put them in touch with them wherever it may be in the UK, France, uh, wherever we, we, we have representatives on the ground who we can liaise with um, with a local notary to put in touch with the client or uh, we have contacts with them. So it's certainly possible to advise it. Definitely, that's it. And I'm good again that you, you provide that, that service to people because. Um, so it's highly important um, to, to have someone on the ground locally who knows the, the lay of the land, uh, I think. Um, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Um, it's something that I do with all the guests that come on here. And I do a kind of top five, depending on, on uh, the industry they're in, what they do. So for, for, for me and asking you on, on this podcast today, I wanted to ask you the top five things to consider um, for your clients or to prepare before they invest in a, in a property abroad? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I would think, I think the first thing uh, I could mention is stamp duty. Um, with, and with that cost, so two points in general, just do look into it. I think sometimes um, it comes a shock to some people. Um, they haven't done all their research properly and when it comes to um, land tax it, it's a huge shock they just haven't got that in mind so certainly it's really important to get that in mind along with putting down your deposit of course um on the topic of deposits uh, i would always advise as well speaking to a mortgage broker speak, speak to us give us a call uh it's completely free for us to give you a set of terms and to give you indications to what you can borrow um how much it's going to cost what your monthly payments going to be and what your down payment needs to be, so what deposit needs to put in place. Because with that, only then do you know where you stand in terms of what you can afford to buy, um, and even where as well. It's, uh, it's really important to know. I mean, if you're buying, let's say, uh, a new build property, um, a lot of banks become overexposed on new builds quite quickly. So it's always good to speak to, to someone like us early on, uh, so you know who is even lending on a property because you don't want to put down a deposit and then find out that uh, a lot of banks are not lending anymore. Um, and, and speaking of sort of buildings in general as well, I would advise uh, not just having a basic valuation done, but perhaps a home buyer survey, just to um, understand the condition of the property. Uh, so there's no nasty surprises. Um, if it's a buy-to-let property as well, do your research. So you understand what the rental yields are in the property, if it's like for the property. Uh, you can have a look on Rightmove or Zoopla, properties in the UK. Uh, if, if not, then uh, call some of the local agents in the area and just have an idea as to what you are expecting to achieve. Uh, I think it, it's really important. And finally, I would advise just having a good lawyer uh, so you're aware of the whole process from start to finish. Um, and uh, in lower costs and with the law, of course, um, have a good mortgage broker as well. Uh, with NS, we'll, we'll hold your hand from start to finish. We'll open a bank account for you, like I mentioned, if, if you need to. 
we are in touch with the banks, with the solicitors, um, start to finish again, we will prepare the application for you in the most uh, attractive manner, if you were, for the bank. So um, you have the highest chance of it being accepted. Um, so we know what these banks, what they want, what they look for, what their criteria is. Uh, so it's really important to have the right people on board right at the beginning, uh, just so it's a smooth and stressful process. If you're, especially if you're overseas, um, the last thing you want to be doing is speaking to banks um, four hours behind you, three hours behind you. But it's just it's stressful, especially with, and working days as well, different here as well. We work Sunday, Thursday, and you're on the phone to someone on a Friday. It's just just added stress you don't need, but with us, um, we have people on the ground, whether it be in the UK, whether it be here, wherever. Um, if we need someone to chase up the banks locally, uh, let's say in Monaco, for example, we can do so. We can have the guys down there go knock on the door. Sometimes that's what it takes. Um, just someone needs a bit of pushing. So that would be, those would be my, my top tips. Thanks, Sophia. That, that's really great and 100% agree with them. Uh, if there's anything you want to add, Sophia, please let me know now. Otherwise, uh, I'll end the, end the podcast. Is there anything else you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going back to what you asked me um, initially. I mean, what are your, what are you seeing typically, well, typical clients at the moment looking at, uh, by, what are your typical clients at the moment? Typical clients, uh, they tend, it depends on the area, really. But yeah, it's, if, it's, if it's investors, they're looking for specific deals. So if they're, you know, they're looking to invest, they're looking for good ROIs and just good pricing. So it's very price sensitive at the moment. If they're, uh, if they're looking to invest, they're trying to get stuff that's below the market price or just, just a general good deal. Otherwise, it has to be a specifically really uh, beautiful unit. My, my, boss, my boss always says this to me. He says, it's a, it's a price war and a beauty contest. That's, that's what he <laughs> says. Because <laughs> it's either something either sells if it's you know, at a good price or it's fabulously beautiful and there's nothing comparable to it. And it's completely true. And, and that's, that's what we see in, in the market. Otherwise, for, for end users, completely like I was saying, they're, they're looking for, for houses to live in. Um, and, and it could be, it always depends. Like you are saying, it depends on personal circumstances. So, you know, for, for the high net worth individuals, they're going to be looking for you know, the penthouses, the villas, the mansions. But at every level or walk and walk of life, people are either they're looking to upgrade because the price is cheaper and they have the cash, their job is stable, everything is, is good and they can look to, you know, use this, this time and the, the price point that everything is at with the low mortgage rates to kind of level up the property that they're staying in. So yeah, on the, on the flip side, there's obviously with the economic situation, there's people, you know, who, who have uh, businesses which are not doing as well in the hospitality industry or in the aviation industry. And there are obviously you know, small pay cuts or even job losses. So there are people looking to kind of consolidate what they have, whether that be, looking to, to sell their home and move back to their, their home countries, or maybe they're looking to, to downsize their home. So sell the property that they currently have and then buy a smaller property because maybe they realized, oh, I actually don't need such a large property. Kids have maybe moved out of the, the family home and they've just been keeping that home. And this has given them the kind of push to, to make that change. Um, and yeah, otherwise it's, it's people looking to even move from, you know, 
the property that, that they have. They'll sell it and then they're looking to rent and see how it goes for the next year um, and see whether they, they want to move back to different country or, or stay here in Dubai. So those are the two kind of sides of the coin. And I think that's why it's, it's quite busy because you have you know, both of those, those ends of the spectrum, people looking to um, you know, upgrade their, their lifestyle and some people looking to, to downsize. So in terms of transactions, it might not mean um, that prices are going up or something like that, but in terms of actual transactions, so that's why it's busy because people are looking to, to buy, sell or, or rent homes. Do you sell do you sell properties in just Dubai or is it all over the UAE? No, we do we do internationally, and that's partly why I wanted you to come on to, yeah. to the podcast, Sophia, because yeah, we focus on Dubai, and I focus, you know, ninety nine percent of my time on on Dubai properties. But as as a brand, uh, luxuryproperty.com, we do international properties, whether that be in London, whether it be the south of France, in LA. Um, they even put on a, a private island in Mexico recently. So <laughs> we have properties all across the, across the globe that um, that people, especially high net worth individuals, can can look at. Even um, to a, a ranch in in South Africa, just off the top of my head. So yeah, there, there's stuff all across the globe. But like I said, we do focus primarily on Dubai. But if you if you are looking for a property internationally, and again you need finance, then we can work together, basically, uh, Sophia and myself, to to find that property for you. Definitely. Okay, Sophia. Thanks for thanks for coming on to to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me as well. No problem. If you if you just want to tell anyone listening or watching your your social media handles or any way that they can get in touch with you uh, to ask you about mortgages and anything else they, they they want to know then please please go ahead yeah sure i don't know if there's a way in which you can leave our details at the bottom as well perhaps um but i can be contacted uh through linkedin my name is sophia casney um i can also be contacted on my email address which is sk at ennis which is dot echo november november echo sierra sierra uk um uh, yeah, or my phone number, which is plus nine seven one five eight nine zero one nine five eight nine. But I mean, if you go onto our website as well, which is ns.com, uh, ns.com, okay, so you'll be able to find um, all of us and get in touch with brokers. Okay, thanks, Sophia. Uh, yes, like like you were saying, um, I'll put that in the description below. If you're watching this on on YouTube, I'll put it in the description. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, I'll put it in the description as well. Perfect. Okay, so once again, thanks for coming on, Sophia, and thanks for checking out another podcast here on Realtor Talk. I'll see you on the next one. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.